you're listening to the Carrero Podcast. This is Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. We would like to introduce you to our new journal website. It's called CarreroJournal.org, spelled K-O-R-E-R-O Journal.org. And you can go there and see that we are making a call for articles and papers. And what we'd like to do is invite you as educators or researchers or even your students to write up and contribute to our online journal. And you can see the submission guidelines there. And also I would like to point you to our edxglobal.org website. And there you can see all of the great projects that our students are working on and our initiatives globally. And you can also make a donation through Venmo, PayPal with your credit card and get a tax exempt ID. So again, edxglobal.org to see what our students and we are up to globally and Carrero Journal to see our new online journal initiative. Thank you so much. Today our guest is Samuel Keolian, a rising junior at Indiana University's Kelly School of Business from Michigan. He is passionate in both education and the capital markets. He has taken a leadership opportunity to develop and spread financial literacy and investment know-how. Since starting college, he has started a personal finance and a marialization club and joined Envision Capital Management Group, a student-run nonprofit investment fund that he currently runs. All right, Samuel, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, In your bio that you shared with us, you mentioned that you are super passionate about saving since you were 11 years old, which is pretty cool. Can you tell us how you began to understand money at such a young age and why you were so passionate about this? Yeah, definitely. Excited to be here and talk talk a little bit about some of my experiences. Uh, yeah, growing up, I was always kind of interested in, in saving and anything I could get from like little jobs or or any type of gifts and whatnot. And then when I started doing some more or part time jobs and work through high school, saving that, I'd say that kind of stemmed from um, you know my parents kind of instilled some of those some of those values, but then I kind of ran with it even more than you know my other either sibling and then it really really spun up into when I realized what you could do with those savings and the investment side of things and how you could magnify your returns so I'd oftentimes work in the summer and then be able to invest that money for the whole year so that could I could see that compound over the school year even though I only worked you know those three months primarily a year so that was what got me really excited about not just personal finance and saving but the investment side as well and teaching in that area. So then tell me about this, um, because not a lot of 11-year-old kids and teenagers are thinking about savings and growing, growing money. Um, I know I wasn't. I was thinking about other things. So um, what, were, what were some of the specific things that, that you were doing during this time? Yeah, so some of the specific things that I would do. Um, so before I even got into like you know, bank accounts and whatnot, I always would just like hoard cash basically until <laughs> my parents would force me to take it to the bank. So I was practically stashing my mattress with, with money. But 
then when I learned that, you know, it doesn't just disappear when it goes in the bank, but it's still actually there. It's still actually yours. And then, then I learned what you could do after the bank, you could put it in like a broker account and invest in stocks. First stock I purchased, I was 11 years old. I bought a few shares of Apple and that's obviously grew to be the largest company in the world and did really well. So that kind of stemmed my interest even more because not only did I recognize I was able to purchase a very small part of a company, but I actually saw the return pay off and, and magnify in a very short period of time because, you know, when I was 11 in the past 10 years, um, you know, Apple, Apple and a lot of the tech market has just continued to, to increase in value. So So it's a a combination of the right time as well as kind of what I got into. And then in terms of like other jobs, you know, I was a caddy for some time. I would do like babysitting. I would clean, do some yard work. I would lifeguard. I would do like some technology lessons with some older individuals. I did like things all across the board just to try to, to try to save some money or, or make something. And then also kind of budgeting my own spending and, and being pretty frugal on that front. And that's something that I kind of carried throughout. And I believe I will carry throughout my entire life. Yeah, you are an incredibly hard worker and very um, outgoing and, and looking for opportunities. That's that's pretty impressive, you know, at a young age. And I I heard you say that, you know, your parents helped um, guide you in that way, which I think is, is pretty lucky for you because I think that a lot of adults and a lot of parents don't really have that knowledge because finance is one of those things that, like, a lot of people are kind of afraid of, which is weird because it's such a huge part of our life. Like everybody has to deal with money, so we should be better at it, but we're, we're not. Um, you became the CEO of Envision Capital Management Group, which is entirely student-run, which is super cool. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, when I went into college and I applied to all these, these organizations, didn't get into them, decided to, to start my own personal finance uh, club, Passive Income Development Club, kind of stemming from the values that I learned growing up. And that magnified not just my passion for, for growing and building a community to talk about those types of personal finance side, but also, um, you know, got other individuals interested in budgeting and saving. You know, kids were starting up Roth IRAs and saving. But then second semester of my freshman year, I learned about Envision Capital Management Group which was more on the investment management side. And is like you said, completely student run. It's a nonprofit investment fund. And what we do there basically is take through private donations and, um, and grants. We, we invest those returns in, in the market. We have three separate funds right now. And then we basically try to magnify those returns. But the reason that we have that nonprofit and public charity status within the state of Indiana is because those returns are then donated to Indiana University scholarships. So not only are we able to provide like the hands-on education and investing in the marketplace at like the undergraduate level from execution to even like portfolio analytics and technology side and marketing, but also it's really self, it's like um, really nice. It's a good cycle in the sense that we educate our own members. We, we actually are able to provide value, but then we donate to, to scholarships and are able to give back and benefit the broader IU community. Wow. And as you're saying this, my educator brain is saying, oh my gosh, you should partner with, you know, math majors who are going into education or even, you know, like, edu- like elementary education students to like have kids involved in this. I think that would be really 
um, beneficial? Do you, are you documenting or are you like, I guess I'm, I'm thinking lesson planning this, but are you, are you documenting like how this like rolls out? Like so that someone could take it and replicate it and turn like the educator could turn it into a lesson plan. Yeah. So that's actually really interesting. I haven't thought of the, the education side for, for like younger students for Envision Capital Management Group. But as far as for Passive Income Development Club, we have thought a lot about that and worked with, you know, an individual that, that volunteers his time to teach lesson plans on personal finance all across the country at the high school level. Because like you said, it's something that's so important in all people's lives, not just those who are looking to go into the finance industry, and yet it's not taught to, to elementary school or to middle school or even to high schoolers. So because it's never really taught, those that don't understand it, don't learn it, you know, might end up not saving as much for retirement or end up in credit card debt or not understand their mortgage or their taxes. And it's things like that that are very, very practical and no matter where you go in life. So looking to partner with some high schools and try to teach some of those same type of courses and, and try to give back in that volunteering of our time, but also that can have a meaningful impact. And even just like an hour investment can, can really magnify if it, if it makes someone start saving or budgeting then who knows how much better off they'll be in, in 50, 60, you know, 70 years. Yeah, I'm thinking of the, you know, the other 11-year-old Samuels in the world whose parents maybe don't have the knowledge to support them in this endeavor, but, you know, like to save their money and, and are, you know, interested in that and how that could, you know, like those students could grow from it. But, yeah. Yeah, because I'm one of the things that, as you as you know, we we do have a non nonprofit here, and we're always interested in in getting getting our our, our students to, to become leaders. Um, you know, just to learn more about who they are. And I'm and I'm thinking um, one of the things that maybe we could even think about is not just learning about you know, how to how to budget, how to do all that stuff, but but to but to learn what you're doing. Um, you know, just, just for the reason then with that, with that knowledge, then we could, you know, then we could turn that into, um, creating opportunities, not only for, for all of our students, but then also having them create opportunities for others. Um, you know, as that kind of that student leadership type of thing that, that, that you're doing. So, um, so yeah, something that we could definitely talk about Samuel, (laughs) um, but from your from your resume, it, it, it looks like you also volunteered in Upward Bound. Um, how did you get in, involved? What what did you do, and and why did you become involved? Yeah, so so my high school, um, basically throughout high school and my whole life, I, I was you know swimming, and my mom taught at the high school I went to oh. in the science and mathematics space. So then one program that our, our high school kind of had in, in the summer months was taking like inner city Detroit high schoolers that might not have as high of a quality of education just from the resources that they have and housing them in the dormitories that we have and the teachers are volunteering to teach them different classes. And then there's some student um, volunteers and whatnot. So I helped in, in some of the, the um, basically volunteering and tutoring on science and mathematics courses, but then the biggest thing was my brother and some of his friends a few years before before my time decided that it would be a good idea to to start like a swim program for these for these individuals you know in from inner city Detroit in high school that might not know how to swim 
when when you're around five Great Lakes in Michigan, it's very it's a very important <laughs> skill, and it's not really emphasized a lot in some areas over others. So some of us that have been swimming since age of two or three, um, that was something that was really great to give back to, and to just see the progress that was made and the friendships that we were able to make volunteering to teach other high schoolers, you know, not too far away from us. Uh, the skill of swimming you know they're afraid to kind of go in the water or the deep end at the first part of the summer but then they're working with them and, and understanding and then you know kind of becoming friends with a lot of them as well we're able to then see the progress where at least they're comfortable in the water to the point where you know they're they're competent and they won't they won't be life-threatened and that's very critical and important if you ever find yourself in, in that kind of scenario you know what? You you bring up a lot of really good points there. Um, one of them is resources, uh, be, because a lot of a lot of urban schools really don't have a pool, um, which is which is something that many many other schools kind of just take for granted. You know that there's that you know they're going to have a pool and they're going to have all um, all of those resources. One of the things that I'm that I'm interested in is during this time, did did you do any did did you learn anything about yourself um, during this time, and then and then how that how that translated into your freshman year over at um, over at Indiana? Definitely. So, I mean, this was over. I did this for a number of summers, and okay. I'd say it was not only like a great experience and and very uh, fulfilling, but like you said, you also do learn a lot about yourself, and it gives you a little new perspective on things. You know, uh, not just not just like what you might take for granted day to day, but also something that might not even be, you know, a concern of yours in terms of like, oh, well, the water can be dangerous, you know, you can drown, even things like that you don't think about until you kind of put yourself in others' shoes to move forward and go from there. So I think the most important thing was not just working together and not just barking orders or trying to have people get out of their comfort zone, but listen to them, to their concerns and try to understand you know, their point of view to then work with them and then get the best results that we can in the time that we have. So you're a student athlete at IU. You've won a couple of state championships. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to be um, an incredible swimmer and a, coll- a collegiate program? Uh, I wish I was a student athlete at, at IU. Oh, okay. I misunderstood. Career okay. In, in high school, okay, um, but I did have a lot of fun swimming and swimming at state at the state level mm-hmm. in, in high school. Um, you know, Indiana University also has a spectacular swim team. Been watching a lot of their athletes at the Olympics right now, so that's very exciting to see them get a lot of medals and represent our school uh, very well. But I wasn't quite at that level, but it's fun to watch nonetheless. I mean, that's actually pretty crazy then to to see that you won. Um, a couple of state championships, but then, um, you know, like aren't, sw- aren't swimming at, at the college level. So that must have been um, maybe a personal decision for you? Or did you want to swim at, at the collegiate level? So I, um, there were a few things. I, I might have been able to swim like Division three, but I don't think I was good enough to swim at the Division one level. Mm-hmm. But it was also like a thing of time, and, and you really have to put in, um, you know, we put in a lot of hours in, in high school season doing two-a-day swim practices, like 20, 30 hours a week. 
that was kind of like our life and our what we revolved everything around and it was a great time but at that college level it's even more uh it's even more emphasized and even more all in basically so you know I, I was looking into um knowing that i wanted to not just like focus on like the education side but also the extracurriculars and other things i could get involved with where where swimming might might kind of conflict a little bit but i still definitely like to like to go to the pool or do some clubs club swimming a little bit as well as just maintain activity and uh and i do i, I live with some division one athletes on the track team nothing but respect for them as <laughs> as i see the hard work that they put in every week and um you know i wish i could do i wish i could do that as well as balance everything else but yeah. that would be a bit much well getting accepted into the kelly's kelly school of business your freshman year isn't isn't a small task i mean you know people people really really have to put in time um and and for everything that you that you are doing can you can you share with us as a as a student what your what your typical day is like yeah so my typical day in in college i'd say yes is that correct Yes. So yeah, I, I love to wake up. I love to wake up early uh, to start the day off right and to start with a workout. So I usually wake up at five or five thirty a.m. and I go to the gym or I do. Might, I might go for a swim. Might go for a run. Um, so I try to mix it up so I'm not kind of beating down my body. Then you know, you know, showering and getting some breakfast. Then it's usually off to some some classes at the morning after you know I keep up with the news because I'm interested in the financial space and the markets so going through those as well so then just some classes you get through and then uh, you know maintaining communication with the different organizations I'm part of I might have some meetings with them because you know we're running um, as you mentioned you know I'm the CEO of Envision Capital Management Group so it's not just like the investment funds but the the operations, the marketing, the technology, the portfolio analytic departments. We have like 80, you know, really hardworking individuals in the organization, all trying to make wow. the organization grow. So that's something that I do do like every day. And I'm really passionate about because I know the impact that we can make. And if we continue to grow exponentially, how big of a, how big of an impact we actually could make in the coming years. So that's something I want to keep growing. And then I like to just focus on also learning something new every day, trying to read something as well as, you know, also maintain communication and friendships and socialize and that kind of thing as well. So it's trying to keep a healthy balance between classes, extracurriculars, just health in general, as well as making sure you're learning and progressing each and every day so that, you know, you keep moving forward. You mentioned briefly earlier about the Passive Income Development Club that you and your friend developed, um, and that was in high school. That was first? That was uh, freshman year of college. We okay. Did that. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit more about that? I think you briefly brushed on it, but I didn't want to overlook it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So my friend and I saw all the different clubs offered at Kelly and at Indiana University, and a lot were in the finance space, a lot were in the investing space, but none were really more of that practical personal finance level or building up side streams of income. So that's really like hot in the in the world. A lot of people talk about it whether it's just being financially free or like the acronym FIRE, financially independent, retire early, building up like these side hustles and all those types of businesses. You know, a lot of um, Gen Z and millennials like to talk about those types of concepts and, and it can be really beneficial to, to supplement a career and a side income 
and to actually grow that and expand it. So we decided to make a club called Passive Income Development Club, which focused on any source of revenue, basically, where you front load the, the efforts and the labor. So we broke it over to the entrepreneurial and the investment side. For example, you know, like something like content creation, whether it's making YouTube videos or writing books or this or that, is you're front loading the effort and then you're getting the dividends, you know, because that can be seen or, or read or paid for years in the future, as well as things like drop shipping and drop servicing. And my friend was very experienced in those areas. I was more on the investment side. So things that, again, pay that dividend where you front load the effort, you buy like stocks, you buy CDs, you get high interest saving accounts, dividend investments, uh, real estate investing, things of that nature is what we really like to focus on and build a community around. So it was actually really successful when we started it, grew to like 200, 250 members and wow. just trying to build a, a platform where people could, could openly discuss and talk about um, you know, their ideas or their thoughts. And the most rewarding part of that though was just seeing the impact that we had, whether it was, oh, we, we motivated like a dozen students or so to, to start Roth IRAs and to start budgeting. And, and I'm understanding, you know, because I started this kind of journey a decade ago, I understand the impact that it can have as it compounds in the next 50, 60 years, where if someone starts saving now, starts getting in that habit, they can really be in a much, much more secure space and they won't feel kind of burdened by, by employment and those types of areas that so many, unfortunately, uh, I think do feel in, in the United States and across the world. Yeah. And I think especially being a college student, um, you know, there is the, the stereotype of, you know, the broke college students. So like thinking about investing and thinking about, you know, your future and your money and putting money aside for your future seems like I, I reflect on my personal experience and I think, well, I can't figure out how I'm going to, you know, make my car payment this week, but, you know, putting money away. Um, I, I wonder how you balance that. Do you talk about that and help guide students on that kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, not everyone's able to to invest, you know, $1,000 in some bonds or something of that nature, but everyone is able to be aware of their spending and their habits and make a budget and make a plan. And they might notice that even if they, they think they're a broke college student, you know, they end up getting DoorDash or paying $20 for, for a meal and just spending when they aren't being aware of it or, you know, people getting Starbucks, $5 coffees a day, just cutting some of those little expenses putting some money aside and, you know, it's not, it's not about the money, the amount to, you know, at this age necessarily, even if you're able to save a hundred dollars and put that in a retirement account, it's also that practice and that the idea that then you can set more aside, you know, be in the same practice and be more willing to and motivated to, to grow that, that if you actually start it from an early age. And also the most important thing starting from an early age, just from like a mathematical perspective is the idea of compound interest. You know, if you start saving now at age 20, the amount that that can grow in the market basically uh, in the next 50 years is exponentially greater than if you started saving when maybe you're in a better off position and you're, you're 40 years old, you have a stable income, you have a house and this and everything else, but, but that's just not going to be able to grow nearly as much and, and you know, work for you. It's the, the Warren Buffett quote, if you don't find a way to if you don't find a way to make money when you're sleeping, you'll work until the day you die. That's kind of our, our mantra for mm -hmm. our uh, passive income development club. Cool. Well, that's, so then what advice do you have for 
old um, old people um, or older people, kind of like uh, who, <laughs> speak for yourself. <laughs> um, you know where we're where we do have our retirements there and blah blah blah. But you know, really want to be able to maybe retire five years earlier than expected. Definitely. So I'd say the most important thing, and I'm not a financial advisor or anything of that nature yet. Um, But I'd say making sure you're very aware of the expenses that are necessities and then the expenses that, that you would like to have during the retirement time to know exactly how much you actually need and, and then how to get there basically. Now, oftentimes, especially in a very low interest rate environment, when, when it's oftentimes, you know, advised that you have a high amount of your savings or retirement in, in bonds and treasuries, basically, as opposed to the equity side, which is more volatile and risky in general, you know, a lot of people might not be following that because the return just haven't been there for the past few years, and especially now after, after COVID hit. So the thing, though, to do is it's not to, to take more risk if you're going to retire in a few years, because that's just basically gambling and rolling the dice. It's to, to look into how you can minimize your expenses to reflect the risk tolerance that you have at your given level and given your current circumstances. So that'd be my piece of advice that I stole from Warren Buffett. So you can you can believe it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm thinking one of the things after we're done with this is uh, I'm going to hashtag Mark Cuban on this stuff just to, you know, just to let him know, hey, there's this other IU kid who's, you know, that you may want to look at um, because, Malia, if you don't know, Mark Cuban came from Indiana University. So Great. Another- He's been bragging about IU for years, so. <laughs> what, um... What's your hopes and dreams and goals for ECMG for the future? What do you what would you like to see it grow into, develop to? Definitely. So I mentioned the uh, the returns we make in the market are donated to Indiana University scholarships. We currently do that through the IU Student Foundation Little Five Hundred Fund, oh, and nice. that goes yeah. So that goes to for those that might be Indiana University alum or or just know about it. Um, every year they have a, a bike race basically called the little 500 and it's really exciting. They raise money for, for students in need and we, we basically just give to that fund and then it goes to the students in need. But as we grow and continue to get larger, um, you know, grow our, our assets under management to then be able to generate, you know, higher returns, we really want to make our own scholarship basically so that we can then go directly to those students in need and then we can highlight that. And try to get more donations and grow because that not just grow for the sake of growing or for controlling more assets, but to be able to provide more opportunity and to continue expanding. For example, as we gained, you know, private investments for the past year, we went from just making a long equity portfolio, which is pretty common across universities and, and a lot of individuals and college kids might already have that experience to then starting a, um, a derivative trading fund as well as a global macro fund. We were able to increase our technology investments for portfolio analytics and really give like a real world professional kind of experience to, to the students in the organization as we're trying to operate at that same professional level. You know, we're competing with, with these professionals that are spending millions or billions of dollars on, um, on their functionality and their, uh, and their work and their analytics. So just trying to get, 
students prepared for that, as well as making sure we're, we're continuing to make a larger impact, whether it's teaching high schools, whether it's um, working with more organizations and increasing, you know, diversity and inclusive uh, initiatives, as well as just continuing to, to educate and try to make a, a net a positive impact on the, the community at large that we all share. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And that fundraising event sounds really cool, the, the bike race. Um, Malia, if you want, we could go out and watch it. It's a, it's a party. Yeah. It's a party. <laughs> um, no, have you, have you seen that movie breaking, uh, breaking away that was came, came out of think, the 1970s. It's a cycling movie. No. Watch it. Okay. It's based on. Okay, cool. Um, Sandra, you were, you were talking, well, you've been talking about a lot of really great stuff and, um, a lot of our, um, Listeners are, are, are coming from kind of like a K-12 higher, higher education background. Um, also, since your mom is in, is in the field of education, um, if you were able, how would you wish to re- rethink K-12 education and, and also higher ed? Um, maybe, maybe based on a lot of the items in which you've been, you've been speaking about. That's a great question. Um, I'd say the biggest thing I already touched on a little bit, but would really emphasize because it's so important for, for everyone is to, to teach some more practical skills. Like you have a history class, you have science, you have mathematics, English, and those are all very valuable and we should keep them. But trying to work in like a personal finance or investing class or a practical finance that teaches you maybe what a credit score is or teaches you about mortgages, something that or teaches you about taxes, teaches you about personal savings, budgeting investing things that everyone will have to know regardless of the field they go into if they become a teacher a lawyer if they become you know a policeman something that they should be aware of not just for the people that want to go to to wall street or to go into banking or to go into personal finance um but it's for everyone to to benefit from and i think that's something that is a little bit missing in the education side some of that practical approach and practical items that that like you said you know oftentimes are taught by parents or now with the internet, it's a little bit better where if you're searching for it, you can find the information. But, but if you don't have any initial spark or initial push, you're not going to know to even search for that on the internet or to, to talk about it with your, with your parents or friends and things of that nature. So I think the push should come from the education system and it would really benefit, um, it would really benefit everyone to, to have that financial literacy across the board. And then we'd probably see, you know, less credit card debt. We'd probably see more understanding on, on taxes and savings. And we wouldn't have to worry about, you know, Social Security running out because people might have their own savings or we wouldn't have to worry about a lot of things that are causing problems now but um, might not in the future depending how, how the education system and how individuals can move forward. And we can't put it all in the education system, though. I'm sure that's very slow, slow moving. <laughs> what I'd say is... Like I mentioned, this one individual volunteering all his time now as a retiree, visiting hundreds of high schools across the country. He'll go anywhere just to, and he begs these teachers to let him in. The administrators don't really listen to him, but he gets in through the teachers just to talk about, give his like crash course on personal finance and retirement savings. And I just think that's, that's the kind of thing we need more of across the board. And it really can start with the teachers because they, they kind of control the classroom and the, the curriculum that they teach more than more than like the principals or the administrators. So getting in through through the teachers and 
having them kind of push for, you know, incorporating some of this, maybe it's in the statistics class or a mathematics class, or maybe they just try to set some time aside, regardless of the, the class that they're in to, to focus on, on that. I think the biggest challenge though is, you know, unfortunately, oftentimes maybe these teachers and, you know, just adults across the all fields don't know some of these topics. So might not be comfortable teaching about it or qualified or, or know how important it might actually be. So that's, that's, I think the biggest barrier is not because they're trying to not teach the important or practical things, but something that they just weren't taught to teach and might not know about in the first place. Yeah, I think you, you hit a really good point because Fred and I are big proponents of project-based learning. And, you know, everything that I hear you talking about, I'm like, oh, this would be a great project-based yep. learning lesson. Um, but I know, like, me personally, like, I feel like I have a pretty sound, you know, grasp on managing my money, but I hire people to help me do that. I have a financial advisor. When you say a lot of these things, I have, like, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but I'm, but I'm yeah. educated, yeah. you know, like, so, and I, you know, like, I... I know I have funds. I know that, you know, like my money's working for me and all of that. But like if I were in an eighth grade classroom creating a project-based learning unit, I, I wouldn't know where to start with this. And, and I want to just say like to our listeners, this is where you reach out to the experts, right? So like you said, Samuel, you know, a lot of teachers don't know, know, you know, like how to start, you know, like they don't feel comfortable or confident in the content. And this is where I would be like, Samuel, can you like consult on this project with me and my students? Like, can we zoom in? You know, like I would, I would probably reach out to people like you or, you know, my personal financial advisor or stuff like that. And those people generally are pretty willing and able to do it. Um, but I, I love, I love your idea on creating practical skills for students in K-12 because, you know, when you go to science class and then you go to history class and then you go to math class, you know, when you're in high school, each of these things are isolated. And then you go out into the world and you exist and all of these things are integrated into your everyday life and you don't say, hang on a second, I need to think about my history class and, you know, talk about politics or whatever it is. So um, I just found this as a good way to plug project-based learning, you know, integrate all of the, you know, cross-curricular content together. I was thinking back to my sixth grade um, student teaching experience, and the math teacher had some sort of, um, and I'm not going to remember it as clearly as I wish that I could, but um, it was a funded unit uh, curriculum that was based in following stocks, and students had to um, pick some stocks. They had to check the market every morning. Um, And... I wasn't teaching math at the time, and so I was just there as like an extra set of hands. But um, I I know that there are some teachers who are doing it who seek it out and try to apply it, and I think that's great. And I would love to see more of that. Um, thinking a little bit more of some of the conversations that we've had today, one of the things that uh, um, popped into my head is the student loan uh, crisis. I'm going to call it a crisis. A lot of students max out their loans um, and then leave college with, you know, 200K in debt. And, you know, if I think back to my first teaching job when I was making $26,000 a year, uh, I would not be able to pay my student loans if I had 
that in, like level of debt. So in these clubs that you have, um, do you talk anything about this, you know, the student loans that they're taking out and, and provide any sort of resources and education on that? Yeah, no, that's a great, um, great question. And like you said, it is a, it is a crisis. And I think it's kind of criminal that some of these federal loans are allowed to, to go into process where they know that these individuals getting these degrees are almost definitely not going to be able to um, pay it off, at least not in, in like a decade or so. So, I mean, I think I'm not an expert in student loans, but as far as my understanding is the private loans were a little bit better in the sense that you know, maybe someone getting a certain degree that's expected to make 25 grand out of college, you know, if that's what they love to do, that's great, but they shouldn't be in $200,000 of debt versus someone that might be going, you know, let's say pre-med or pre-law and have a clear path forward to be able to potentially pay off that $200,000 in an easier fashion, then it's more reasonable to, to kind of take out that money. But like you said, some people have these loans and a lot of people actually have these loans one thing in Passive Income Development Club, we do actually talk about that. And we have a lot of individuals that are, are trying to, to earn a little bit more, pay off these loans earlier um, so that they don't go into the workforce with as much debt or any debt at all. So that is the goal of a lot of a lot of the individuals we, we talk to. And we're just trying to brainstorm ideas for how they can budget and how they can earn these side streams of income while doing, you know, full-time classes to then be in a better position as they're looking forward in their life. So that's also definitely very um, very great to bring up because that's something that I guess a lot, a lot of individuals in college can relate to. And it's, it's something that you can work at and you can try to wither down and the more proactive you are, the better it is. So it doesn't keep growing and growing. Now, um, one of the things which, which I want to learn about is tell us about what your, what your interests are, um, maybe outside of what you're doing. And then there will, there will be many who do not know what the Junto is or is it, am I saying it right? J-U-N-T-O. Um, please tell us about yeah. this. And uh, what is this? Because I'm ignorant. So yeah, um, that is definitely one of my interests. And just a really funny thing that came up from Passive Income Development Club. As we had that platform, we kind of spun off one wing of the, the club to a personal ameliorization side of things so personal betterment trying to focus on how to improve yourself as well as the broader community and i took an inspiration for starting that from from benjamin franklin and when benjamin franklin went to pennsylvania you know he was definitely i'd say you know a great american figure he did everything from invent inventor businessman printer author ambassador um everything basically so it was very, very inspiring to look at some of the things he did in his life. And the Junto was an organization that he formed with a lot of different businessmen in different areas in Philadelphia. And they came together every every week, basically, and tried to figure out ways to, to, benefit, to improve themselves individually, as well as the community. So, for example, they started the first collegiate fire department, the first university, the first, um, the first, let's see... Yeah, they basically started a lot of different organizations and looked to improve the community, but also benefit and help each other out. Basically, if they noticed someone in the community needed help or or education or could use some of their guidance or expertise, 
they look to do that as well as focus on themselves. So we meet every week basically, and we're focusing a lot on like personal betterment right now. But then also, you know, after COVID, we're looking to get more into the community service and involvement to, to benefit the community that we all share. And the personal, you know, the personal side, personal betterment, I'd say, you know, it could be anything from, you know, maybe I talk about or we talk about the benefits of, of waking up early or planning out your day or being proactive or making goals for the future, thinking ahead, just things that, that I think anyone can kind of get behind but oftentimes they may not have the, the discipline or the guidance or, or the reason to, to actually set those constraints, especially in college when everything's hectic, you're making your own schedule and, and you don't really, it's your first time really out, out in the world on your own a little bit. So just having that to discuss, to communicate, to work together toward making these new ideas and then hopefully making more of an impact on the community through, through service events. That's really cool. I, that is super cool. I had not, I had that. not heard of that from Benjamin Franklin before. I love, I love that inspiration. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Well, as we uh, wrap up here, we end our podcast with asking our guests what their call to action is. So the one takeaway that you would like our listeners to um, take from you. What do you? What is your call to action? So I understand a lot of your listeners are in the the educational area and educational space. So I'd say the biggest call to action would be not waiting for, you know, government regulation or some huge company sponsor to, to make a push, invest billions of dollars into, you know, personal finance, like education, but to make the impact and the change that, you know, you can as an individual to think where can this fit and would this benefit, you know, my students, maybe my children, maybe my parents, anyone, anyone in my life that I can kind of impact in terms of reaching out, learning more about, you know, savings, investing, retirement to then not just put myself in a better position, but also put, you know, those around me and those that I can have an influence on in a better position. So I'd say you might not be an expert, but, you know, we all have the internet. We all can learn so much just by reading, by, by listening and by consulting with, you know, with individuals that might have more or insights. So moving forward with that, I'd say it could be a really big impact. Um, even if it just starts with yourself and then you go to the community, you know, and then, you know, you start local and you go global. Oh, okay. At X. Wow. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nicely said. I love that. And, uh, and your check is in the mail. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Samuel, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you for all of your work uh, on campus and, you know, sharing your knowledge with students. And it's really cool to see that your passions as a young uh, man have grown into, you know, you sharing with the world. So thank you for all of that. Thanks, Samuel. Thank you. Thank you very much um, for giving me this opportunity to talk. And again, Start local, go global. That's all, that's all I have to say. 